Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, the Mid-Atlantic region is one of the prettiest in the country. And when people here want to enjoy the scenery, they do it on a TimberTech deck. TimberTech decks are stunning, sustainable decks backed by massive amounts of technology. And that means they perform better, last longer, and look more like real wood. Plus, they're backed by warranties of up to 50 years. The best in the industry. Better tech, better deck. So unfold the deck chair and enjoy the foliage. TimberTech, go against the grain. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 48 of the No Encore Music Podcast. We all get excited when we're reunited like this. Damn right. Hello. I'm back. It's Magic Vanilla Ice. Back in the game. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. I'm a lot better. Great. It was a really bad time. Was it? It was lots of um, being in bed making forts. There was no Did force. A f- Didn't make a force. Not once. Not one force. Uh, you know what? Now it's that a waste said of it, an that's illness. A missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I had the kissing disease. Yeah. Who are you kissing? Tell us all. Uh, you know me. <laughs> Bad and time followed after having too much of a good time. This Trump. is the thing. And uh, yeah, well, I, I, I'm a gentleman Trump. who doesn't kiss and tell, so I won't be doing that. However, what I will say is that it should be renamed, I believe. There's no gaiety or frivolity related to this disease whatsoever. It's horrible. I, it was dreadful. It really, really was bad. I could barely speak. Um, should we, should, I sent you a voice message about oh, yeah. how was, I sounded. Yeah, it was like the audio version of, you know those posters of like Paul Blart Malk? Cop where it's just like blur, 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 and his face is melting. It sounded like that. You know what? Let's have a listen. <laughs> I actually sound like this. It's a fucking joke. Um, however, the good news is that I did record a very, very quick five second clip by Elba earlier on, or last night, when I didn't sound quite this comical. <coughs> so, um, I will send that to you now in a second because unless my voice clears up today. I think it would sound a bit too ridiculous if I was to record one as is. 
So there's me a couple Needed weeks Needed to hear ago. that again. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why we left you off for the past two weeks. <laughs> it really couldn't happen. And I thank God it didn't happen before the live show, which of course is coming up very, very soon. Mm. Very soon indeed, yeah. Jesus, time to get ready, I think. A week and a half My from God. when this episode drops. Uh, now EncoreLive.eventbrite.ie if you want to get your tickets or tickets will be available on the door, I am sure. We have a hell of a lineup for the show if you haven't heard already. We'll be in the Workman's Club on Thursday, March the 2nd at 7 o'clock. We have Week of Corners, Farah L, Windings and Bantam all down to play some music for us. Mm-hmm. And we've got some surprises too. Damn right we do. And it's going to be absolutely great. We've got Mick Pope from The Galaxy. We've got May Kay, Kieran from De Laurentos. They're all going to be there and getting involved. We hope to see you there too. It's our first ever live show. And thankfully, I am back and I am fighting fit to host the show because I know you two guys did a great job in my absence. But it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't it be the just same. just would not. It wouldn't be the same. How are you? Y'all, you, you, you guys yeah. are great. And thanks, you, good. you did a great job. I, I really oh, enjoyed thanks, listening man. to the show as a casual listener. Was, was it strange? Fun. It really was. Yeah, yeah it was. Did you um, feel... Was, were there any moments where you were frustrated and thought, these guys don't know what Well, the, when Cullum uh, got the elbow album title wrong. Yeah, too much time oh hanging out God. with the stripes, clearly. He's still mentioning that. Jesus. Heavy lies the crown, I think you'll find. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, I really enjoyed the episodes. I thought they were great. I thought they flowed very well. And I will say, I think you didn't believe me when I actually said I Really enjoyed the elbow review because to be fair I think I would have brought it down if I had been here because I'm just very anti that band I hadn't mm. realised that you hate them quite I really so much. do can you tell us why exactly you, wasn't there a live incident they're a glorified pub band I know you don't agree but yeah. they are a glorified pub band I find Guy Garvey to be quite repulsive what did he say at some gig that you were just like oh, I'm out <clears throat> this was there? Electric Picnic okay. that we were at which would have been I want to say 2012 I think it was that weekend when we saw Robin Van Persie get his hat-trick against Southampton and the world felt better for about five minutes. What a Sunday. Uh, We were in the media area being assholes not attending the proper gig while Elbow were on the main stage and I remember like Guy Garvey went into some weird monologue where he just kept saying oh beauty you beauty fucking hell beauty and I was like what is going on? I remember there's some girl who I thought you knew, but she was just some hippy dippy festival girl, and she was like, "Smile!" And I was like, "I can't." Oh. Guy Garvey's being disgusting on stage. <laughs> no one can smile. There are no smiles anymore. And welcome yeah. to Dublin, mate, or Stradbally. Welcome to Dublin, yeah. mate. Yeah, that's another one for another day. Um, but no, I have to say, I just I can't vibe with that band whatsoever. I got into a little bit of trouble on Twitter when I kind of gave out about them, but I think most people saw it from my point of view. And I don't like that new record. I stand by my 2 out of 10 cameo appearance review, and I think that you guys did a much better job dissecting it than I would have done. So maybe it was for the best that I was uh, lying on a trolley in hospital at the time. So, you know. I mean, it was a bit drastic. (laughs) It's just as well that you're back, though, so that you can answer uh, the big questions that we have this week. Uh, Not so much hanging out about Elbow's album, but uh, are the Grammys racist, Dave? Uh, obviously not, mate. You start slow. Beyonce won the Urban Award. What more do you want? <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> uh, I'm amazed anyone cares about the Grammys. My sister actually messaged me today and she was like, did you see the Grammys? Did you see Beyonce? Did you see Adele? And I was like, it's the Grammys, so no. Yeah, I mean, I, didn't. The, I guess the Grammys... But I know what happened, of course. The Grammys are still seen as kind of like the, the, the standard bearer mm. within the music industry in the same way as the Oscars would be for films, say. Sure. Now, granted, the Grammys has sort of, yeah, been rendered obsolete by A, other awards and B, it's just sort of real old-fashioned approach. Um, but it still is seen as that sort of institution. And I think that's a large part of why you see these kind of debates and these discussions coming up, because it's not solely about the Grammys. It's seen as a representation the fact of what that the Adele industry is doing as a whole. The fact that Adele album overall, you know, for dreadful. 25, which, by the way, came out like two years, no, mm. well, a year and a bit ago. It's a while ago. And, yeah, it was December 2015, I yeah. want to say. And November yeah, 20. but it's demonstrably not a better record than Lemonade. Like, I mean, of course, 
like you can't say that it is because it clearly isn't even she didn't think so apparently and this is kind of what's pissed people off they feel like beyonce was boxed in to the urban award which of course you know sounds like what it sounds like and there's probably should be a whole rehaul i do think lemonade should have won that award at least over 25 for sure because it's just 25 is a really unadventurous record it doesn't have much to say and lemonade is the opposite like it's a real maelstrom of a record that has an awful lot to say and it has great songs on it and it really kind of cemented beyonce as an artist far beyond just the you know the pageantry which maybe kind of supported her for quite a while it's a terrific record we're we're big fans of it on the show and i do think that this further not necessarily delist uh, delegitimizes uh, can't say that word the grammys but it definitely doesn't give it the credibility that they think that they have yeah i i mean i agree with everything you say there i mean i do have an issue as i said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about some people kind of pulling out and not attending the ceremony there is an issue with regards you know maybe people putting a slightly bigger headline on things that are kind of down to personal taste i mean i fully agree that beyonce should have been ahead of adele in terms of the record of the year um it might be slightly knee-jerk reaction to suggest that it's purely race driven i don't know yeah i mean there has been a strange trend where you know black artists have been ridiculously overlooked but what is actually the voting process like it's it's a kind of academy thing isn't it we're talking about thousands of voters and presumably a lot of them are musicians Mm. now maybe there's an overwhelming majority that are just kind of you know record label executive type people that don't actually listen to a whole lot of records my guess would be that's what it is so they're just like yeah adele's been doing really well great story in terms of her selling albums give it to her yeah um but yeah, I don't exactly know how. It doesn't seem to be some shadowy kind of panel of a few people selecting these records. No, I think it's more people who are kind of maybe out of touch and yeah. perhaps should be a bit more adventurous. Much it's like that the, Oscars, much problem. like the Oscars yeah. as well. I mean, like you know, every now and then you do get surprises. I was shocked when Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross won Best Score for the Social Network. I thought that would have been too out there for them. But for the most part, they tend to play it safe and play it stuffy. The uh, Recording Academy president of the Grammys, Neil Portnow, has done an interview and he said, "I don't think there's a race problem at all. Remember, this is a peer-voted award." We don't, as musicians, in my humble opinion, listen to music based on gender or race or ethnicity. When you go to vote on a piece of music, at least the way that I approach it, is you almost put a blindfold on and you listen. Which, if true, just says that they got pretty bad taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quite which possibly. is even worse. Yeah, and what's more, I think, as well, you know, that kind of backs up the point that I was making earlier, that it's seen as being kind of representative of the industry as a whole. So while there may not be an issue for the Grammys alone then at least, you know, in, in the pure voting system, uh, maybe that's not representative. Yeah, very much so. Uh, further argument to show that uh, they may not be on the absolute cutting edge uh, was supplied later on in the evening when uh, Lady Gaga teamed up with Metallica. Well, further argument kinda. that they can't fucking do a production properly because James Heffield's mic didn't work. Yeah. And he was not pleased about it either. He was not happy it about it either. at all. Yeah, no. And we had Adele having another moment where she had to restart, or actually this time she restarted. So yeah, so it was... Dropping clangers left, right, and center. Yeah, Lady um, Gaga appeared with Metallica for a performance of Moth into Flame, which I maintain is a great song. And um, I think, you know, Mike, work aside, this was fine. I actually don't mind this pairing at all. I think it kind of works. Yeah. Uh, no? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You see, Metallica at this stage are just such a constant. And I'm 
do kind of mean that in a slightly negative sense and that you know they're still doing what they've been doing for years that basically like you just take anybody shove them in an old ripped black t-shirt and it probably looks all right she looked know? like uh sunny from the wwf back when she managed legion of doom 2000 <laughs> uh, teenage dave appreciated that and i yeah i thought she was good if we're comparing it to the lou reed collaboration where, where does it stand no this is actually listenable okay whereas the lou reed collaboration itself is just the worst thing of all time um yeah look it's a bit cheesy but metallica are basically a fucking pop band these days you know like yeah. i mean like they're, they're hardly like you know trash death metal i mean like they're very much like they make songs that are accessible and i think that you know based on that last record we were very much surprised by how accessible it could have been i also enjoy seeing metallica fans get really pissed off by having <laughs> a woman singing with them sure yeah, yeah of which there's so. been of course predictable enough like this is ridiculous what the hell and it's like she's a really good performer she was really good at the Super Bowl and she was really good here and what's more it seems as though we're going to be seeing more of it too because Lars Ulrich has said that her voice her attitude her outlook and everything is so awesome uh, the performance was effortless and organic she just has the spirit it comes really easy for her there's nothing contrived she just has this super warm easy energy which is a very Lars Ulrich thing to say yeah. but he does sort of uh, imply that while their schedules are kind of troublesome right now uh, that they would be open to doing something in future I like this Metallica I like their kind of easy breezy yeah. just kind of mellow guys James Heffield keeping bees apparently on his ranch I mean yeah they're, they're good guys and the last record was enjoyable again yeah. as we've discussed before you have to feel as though they may have watched back some kind of monster and thought yeah. oh we've jumped the shark here lads which we? by the way I just found out is coming to Netflix for his 10th anniversary yay oh, mark, mark the date Two and a half hours, it needs to be seen, check it out. And uh, look, uh, yeah, this pairing, I would be totally fine to see either, you know, an EP or a, like a bigger performance from them. Uh, double album. It's, it, double album. <laughs> it's like that time Jesse J played with Queen and it was actually all right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the people, I, I, remember, I remember being on Radio Nova and getting savaged about this, but I was like, she was actually good. It actually kind of worked. I, mean, I like, remember not being great, actually. <laughs> I thought it was totally <laughs> fine. Okay, I, I, I reserved the right to go to YouTube and go, you know what, I was wrong. And if so, I'll parachute in some audio here. It was just the magic of the London games, was it? Oh, man, I'm still there. <laughs> 2012. I've never been to London. Uh, here's great. Is it fun? Go to London. You'll either be mugged or not appreciated. <laughs> great <laughs> reference. Solid reference. Elsewhere uh, in the world of online platforms and things arriving, Moby made a rather storming show on Instagram this past weekend. Or, sorry, should I say after a weekend spent uh, with friends who live and work in D.C., Friends in high places, Moby. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, basically, I don't know, seemed to make a lot of statements about Trump and Russia and He's gone all Edward Snowden on us, yeah. Yeah, like numbered bullet points kind of thing. Um, Colm, I know you follow Moby on Instagram. Is this no. the usual fare we get from him, or is it usually <laughs> him in Paris, you know, hanging out well, with a Considering the, the last thing that I saw from Moby was, like, some sort of animal rights-themed video for his side project. Yeah. Um, well, that was very much him in the 90s before Play. He was just all about the making an unlistable punk I album. I think I just Animal like Moby from Play by the sounds of things. But, uh, but yeah, so you talked about, you know, the Russian dossier is real and uh, the Trump administration is in collusion. Their right-wing plans to get rid of Trump He's intelligent puppet, agencies man. are trying to... <laughs> it, yeah, it goes very Alex Jones, doesn't it? It's like he's got this vital information from the insiders that he has to get All out All of there. which is kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, did we not know this already? Yeah, ex- exactly. Most of this has already been tweeted by, like, you know, Jim. Like the dust <laughs> from on, Virginia. But hold on, then he ends with, I'm writing these things so that when slash if these things happen, there will be a public record beforehand. Thanks, Moby. That's very serious. Like, he's... Does he think he's going to be, like, off or something? Yeah. Three days of the condor over here. <laughs> yeah. You end up, like, 
Kim Jong-il's brother or it's whatever. enemy of the state. I'll just keep throwing out spy movie references, why not? Um, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of a non-story because, as I say, it's nothing we don't already allegedly know. And, you know, Moby, really? Like, you're going to be our hero? I would rather, you know, someone with a bit more... Drake, perhaps? Oh, good old Drake. Well, to be fair... Drake has been trying to help people. Drake's trying yeah. to help somebody, yeah. He's told no. Moby's been trying to save the world. Drake has been trying to help one man. Um, yeah, so Drake offered to talk down a suicidal man who was standing on the wrong side of a bridge barrier in Manchester, England. Um, according to police reports, Drake's bus was caught up in the traffic that was caused by, you know, the police blocking off the road during the bridge. One officer was approached by a male from a tour van caught up in the traffic congestion, claiming to be part of Drake's entourage. He offered for Drake to speak to the male on the bridge, if that would help. The offer was declined with thanks. It should be said, I'm <laughs> guessing that this officer was familiar with Drake's oeuvre, because... He's Frank, jumping. Yeah, he's jumping. <laughs> like, this ain't gonna help matters, is it? It's like that great vine of, like, you know, uh, it's like, oh, Drake heard that some, some guy was emotional in the club when Drake's, like, trying to kick his way into an nightclub. Yeah. Uh, the inspector in question, by the way, Phil Spurgeon... Mm-hmm. Yeah. He should have gone into surgery, shouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we should point out that uh, there was a happy ending and the man didn't jump and he was taken to hospital for treatment. So all's well that ends well. Um, and Drake is playing in three arena next week. So it's happy ending oh, for all man. involved. Do you, reckon Drake told him to, uh, do you reckon Drake told him to take care? Oh, I'm back. I'm back on the podcast. <laughs> you definitely are, as is the spirit of Zara Hederman. Yeah, seems. shout out to Zara. Uh, final uh, news story to catch our eye over the past week is uh, Mick Jagger. <laughs> now, I, I, I think it's, it must be said that, like, as journalists, we've all written things where you, like, come back a month or a year later and you go, God, I completely forgot I wrote oh, that. Of course, yeah. Mick Jagger's managed it with a book. <laughs> 75,000 word memoir that he has absolutely no recollection of writing. Furthermore, he also has uh, no recollection... Or, has little recollection, I suppose, of buying an estate while he was high on LSD. This is amazing. So this publisher has just come out with these kind of, you know, secret memoirs, even to Jagger, that apparently were written in the early 80s. And yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's given us a few anecdotes, basically Mick Jagger being out of it and trying to throw his money around, which is pretty much the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and probably still now. Um... But yeah, remarkably, Mick could not remember any manuscript. And he actually was going to go ahead with like putting it out there. And then he kind of thought, no, but maybe best not do it. But I don't know. Um, it's interesting that Keith Richards, a couple of years ago, wrote that kind of book, which was really well received. I didn't actually read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they had a falling out for a couple of years, really, didn't they? Where they were, they were like, weren't quite talking to each other. I believe Keith was talking about the size of his manhood or something. They had a falling out, so... I don't know. Oh, yeah. Will be that, that, that rings a bell. Do you think Mick Jagger remembers almost being killed by a horse? <laughs> I mean, the description of this. Apparently, like, he wanted to live the life of a horse-riding country squire, but he'd never set foot on a horse. His publisher says, He leapt onto a stallion, whereupon it reared and roared off like a Ferrari. Summoning his wits and some half-remembered horse facts, he gave the stallion a thump on the forehead, <laughs> right between the eyes, and slowed it down. That, to me, sounds apocryphal. I yeah. think I think it actually sounds like he's actually remembered how to fight off a shark and decided, well, maybe it'll work here Imagine too. Imagine he remembers some swan facts and like put his hands out, his arms out, really like <laughs> half remembered horse facts. Yeah, what the hell is to that? do that in the moment? It requires some composure. Fair play. <laughs> I suppose when you've got that much LSD flowing through your system, you might be quite quite zen. I feel like Keith Richards' half remembered horse facts might be a little different. I feel like this could be Sounds like... like a the, very bad game show. <laughs> yeah, or I was going to say the podcast that's going to rival ours. 
no podcast could could ever rival, especially when we're going to bring Poetry Corner into the mix soon, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Turns we'll, out Colm's good at poems, everybody. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get there. Uh, first of all... <laughs> Rhyming O'Regan. If you were listening last week, then you probably heard this... Delighted to be joined in studio by Stephen Tiernan, aka Participant. Hello. Oh, that's lovely. Round of applause there. That's, that's the kind of uh, response you get every time you walk on stage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time. Yeah, Cackles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's encouraged. It's worthy. And you'll be taken to the stage on the 14th of March at the Little Museum of Dublin to launch your new EP, Sampler. Is it yes. just samples or are there original tracks on there? Uh, basically, um, I'd written some new stuff um, and I didn't really know what to do with it because I'm kind of like... I wasn't sure to go like album mode, EP mode. So, um, and I had like, I so I did that video with Bob that just came out for You're Better. And that was from an old EP. So I kind of didn't know what to do. I had a lot of these kind of loose ends. And I felt like I'll just do another little release, which is a collection of some of those loose ends, a new song. And then the reverse of the cassette is like a sample library. So it's like full of like sounds that I've used in my recordings. So you can buy the cassette and use them I don't know, guys. I kind like. of feel like I'm being sold a dud here. What do you think? <laughs> well, you're being sold a cassette, which is interesting yes. in and of itself. Yeah. Talk to me about the cassette thing, because it has been, like, just been a weird, like, underground revival of the cassette. Uh, it's, I think the revival has come, I think it's, like, kind of monetary in nature in that okay. it's way cheaper to press and duplicate cassettes than it is to do a 7-inch or a 12-inch record. Or even CDs. And people don't... CDs aren't very popular currently. Mm. So, yeah. Cassette is like... They look kind of cool. They're small. You can sell them for like a fiver. You can get them duplicated for like a, yeah, less than a euro each or something. Um, so, yeah. I think that's part of it why they've come back. But I actually collect cassettes anyway. And I use cassette a lot in my like recording process. I record and sample to and from cassettes. So, it kind of... I felt like when I was going to put something out... If that kind of made sense to do a little cassette. You would have had a field day the day we had Toby Carr in here when we were leaving the studio. There was a skip full of cassettes. I saw that and I, I sent Dave a message about that a few days later when I realised what it was, but it had already gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought you were, I, I, I didn't think that you were actually like into it. And you were like, oh my God, really? And you seemed kind of crestfallen when I revealed it was all over. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, that I could have probably even just like wiped them and just had loads of blank cassettes. <laughs> that would have been good. That's true. I think, I think I have two cassettes left. I have Weezer Hashpipe, and I have Fat Boy Slim's Praise You. They're my two cassettes in the house. Jesus. I bought the new Radicals album on cassette. Oh, very nice. Why are you Jesusing me? I'm just saying, mate. And I, you know, I was talking the other day about a, that terrible block party song, The Love Within, that came out. Oh, it's really bad. It's oh, one it's of the worst songs I've shocking. heard in a long They're headlining the Trinity Ball, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that makes sense, though. Yeah, there you go. Pay 90 quid to see block party at five in the morning in trinity and but it should reason- be said as well that like unless you're doing sort of like you know a postgrad or something in trinity can you even remember when block party were good yeah i mean it's 12 years ago now that makes a cl- college fresher six that silent alarm was, is 12 years old is it 2005 i want to say 2005 yeah yeah, yeah, that, yeah i like that record still i think it's good it's good i didn't and mind had, the weekend in the city it was okay yeah they, there was good songs on that and a few 
few good songs on the the, the third one. Yeah, but Ion then Square it, it, is a good it, track. It, it was going downhill the whole time. Yeah, but they've gone so far downhill that it's genuinely sad to yeah. watch. But like the reason I mentioned New Radicals in the time with Block Party is the video for The Love Within is Kelly and some other people just dancing around a supermarket. And a mate of mine in response sent me back, you know, you only get what you give. Sure. And I, I, I was like, oh, hey, mate, that's a really good song. And he goes, no, no, I know it is. And I was like, oh, cool. We had that. Because, like, you know, I feel like that song was always good. And didn't he write that dude, write like loads of other hits? For Ronan Keating and people. Love is like a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Roller coaster is my jam. Greg Alexander <laughs> is his name. But we're not here to talk about him. <laughs> we're, we're not. not. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll we, we move on to a video with a very different tone, I think it's fair to say. Uh, you mentioned it briefly there, uh, working with Bob Gallagher on yeah. the video for You're Better. Tell us about how that came about. So, I, this was really great that we actually managed to do this because I sent Bob that song well before it was released. And I was like, this is, if we, because we did a video before uh, for Shelter. And I said, if we get to do something again together, I'd love to do it for this track. And straight away, like, Bob got back and was like, oh, I love it. I've already got an idea. Let's make it happen. But Bob has become a very in-demand guy mm-hmm. uh, and, like, well-deserved. Like, he's done a lot of great work for a lot of great bands. So it just got harder and harder to, to find the time to do it. So the fact that we managed to, like, so he was going away to write on, like, a like a retreat for like two months in Italy. Um, and like, it was literally the weekend before he flew away to do that. We managed to like get the cast together, get the locations, get the gear. And we just did it over two days. And it was, I'm sure like maybe Bob is used to this. It was like kind of like really guerrilla kind of style. Where we just turned up places and shot and got the, got the shots yeah. and like moved on. But like, I wasn't used to this at all. And I was just, maybe it's cause I'm like a slightly anxious person, but like, so anytime we like, we have to shoot at like the McDonald's and like, still organ or something and like i was i was so scared that we were just getting trouble and even though when i was like like rationalizing i'm like who what kind of trouble like how you just like you just say sorry and stop filming <laughs> ronald like, mcdonald and the hamburger yeah. are gonna come around the corner but and I, rough I, you up i swear i could hardly even like i couldn't even be near the filming i was like just standing off in the car park on my own and stuff like <laughs> I, I, it was so strange i, I want to see like, that video <laughs> yeah 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 me anxiously feeling awkward about something that is not a big deal at all uh, Bob was interviewed in the Irish Times by Another Nine, and he yes. he made the point that uh, it's more important to have the right gimp mask than to necessarily you know worry too much about setting a scene. So if you had that on you, you know, yeah. that would get yeah. you out of some kind of you know trouble. Uh, as yeah, he does maybe. right now, yeah. we should point. We should point out, out. Yeah. he Sounds has muffled. He's yeah. come into yeah, the studio wearing a gimp mask. Looks but great. I, fun fact about that video, because uh, obviously, like I'm, I don't make much money making music, so the budget had to be pretty low. And Bob was very kind and agreed to like we'd work on it for whatever we could get together and call in favors and stuff so shot the the scenes of like kind of the the main client and Dermot like the protagonist shot that in my mom's bedroom at home <laughs> so like I have to just ring my mom and be like I'm gonna explain what we're gonna do and you kind of can't say no because we're really <laughs> stuck but it will be very good in the end so like I had to just go to my mom's house with all the gear and the two actors and like my mom was just sitting downstairs and I was like sitting on the stairs to make sure like that it was like a closed set I suppose because they have to like you know there was some intimate moments yeah, yeah. just definitely one of those moments where like I was like what am I doing <laughs> like this is not normal to like bring two male actors to s- simulate sex in your mother's bedroom is what am I doing but the video turned out really well and my mom thought it was great so. I was about to say as long as your mom liked it in the end yeah. that's all good Yeah. Uh, we also obviously heard a little clip there um, of a song that we played in full last week which is uh, the remix of Your Better yes now tell us about this one because I think I'm probably not alone in saying it caught me off guard yeah 
Uh, that was great. That was really, really cool. I was delighted Connor uh, wanted to do that. And I was particularly delighted with the results because I, I knew... He's, he's never done this before. Right? No, no. He's kind of like me and Connor Brown from Villagers. He's championed you kind of from the get-go. So, I, mean, yeah. like, you know, I, I know like uh, Rich Egan of Jape uh, was another one. Kind of like, and last week of Corners when you kind of release stuff. Like It is that kind of thing where you say, like you know, obviously... There's not a lot of money to be made in music, but there does seem to be a genuine camaraderie. Yeah, for um, sure. I guess if people like the material, which yeah. they do. So. Which was great. Um, I, yeah, I was really lucky. So Burr, uh, Burr Quinn, who mixes my stuff, so I like write and record in a little room, um, and then I always just give it to Burr and be like, Burr, like, make sense of this, or whatever. But Burr has toured with Villagers for years as as Connor's engineer. So I've kind of gotten to know Connor just from meeting him at like little social things or after gigs or whatever. And uh, I, yeah, he he asked me one of the times I was talking to him, like when I was releasing stuff, and I was like, "Oh, I'm doing this video with Bob," and I think he knows Bob a little bit, so he was like, "Oh, send me the track. I'd like to do a remix." I'm, I'm thinking about like experimenting with that kind of stuff, and yeah, so I sent him the stems, and he had it for a while because that was another thing, kind of like the Bob video. It was back and forth for a little bit. It, it wasn't like necessarily immediate, um, and then yeah, he sent me the remix, and it was crazy uh, and not what anyone expected. And definitely was its own thing. So I was really excited to release that. Between the video and the remix, obviously, it's kind of like you're going through a little You're Better revival for, for a while. Yes. And what's that like for you? Is it almost like seeing your work reimagined a number of times over? Yeah, kind of. It's like, it's really cool to to just like hands off on something and trust someone else with it. And like, I suppose I'm very lucky that like Bob is like at this stage an award-winning lauded director and then like choice prize winning Ivor Novello winning Conor O'Brien so like I felt my stuff was in good hands that like these are the kind of people that you can take a step back and you know you know do what you want yeah. so like it, it was great to get two different pieces of art I suppose that like were did were involved with the song but also were their own things and people are relating to them as if they like on that in the same kind of way people are like oh yeah like kudos Stephen but also like kudos Bob kudos Connor. this is it's great to see like I suppose different people interacting and creating new stuff I suppose I think it all come together yeah uh, speaking of hands on stuff though uh, I know that last year you kind of played around with live ideas and stuff yeah. like that tell us about that that process and where you stand on it now um, yeah I, I'm kind of a bit of a glutton for punishment <laughs> with doing gigs in that I like I, I suppose to my own detriment when I first started doing the participant stuff because it's kind of like electronic in parts and there's kind of like I tried playing it with a live band which I still do the odd time but it's kind of harder to get people in a room to do stuff so I've experimented with like backing tracks and stuff like that but I did like I've done a couple of shows that I'm really proud of which kind of like involved like samples and loops and stuff like I did one in my house with Homebeat and like it was like all the tracks were like interspliced with this relaxation cassette and it was just one long piece so I just pressed play on a cassette player and like played and sang and and it worked really really well but then i've tried to do that that in other places and it just hasn't worked whatsoever <laughs> and i've learned the hard way that like you so like when you're doing something that's really tailored like that was really tailored to my house and it was like it was very foolhardy of me to then try and do that in the workman's club <laughs> and like try and get people who were like going to the bar and having a pint to be like can you everyone just be quiet for half an hour and not clap or anything it's like no that's not gonna work 
Which, of course, is an increasingly kind of modern problem, like even etiquette of gigs we talked about a lot on the podcast before. And I guess with your kind of music, and I'm really, I don't want to say art installation or anything, because I know that sounds disparaging. Yes. But I think what you do is, you're like it's, it's unconventional. I mean, like, like you yeah. are trying to do something different, but you're doing it in the knowledge as well, of course, that it's a hard sell. Yeah. And I, I remember seeing you play Hard Working Class Heroes before in the Mercantile, and like there was like a kind of a more indie band on after you. And yeah. You were kind of there, and I think you had like a backdrop of all these shirts, and there was yes. projections on them, and it was really cool. But again, it was like, people are literally coming in and out a side door, that's right beside the stage in this festival where you you're kind of encouraged to move around as well so that must be really daunting to just slot in for 20 yeah. minutes when you know that you probably won't be in front of a, an audience that would get it yeah yeah it's like i've kind of yeah as i said i definitely have learned the hard way with that stuff i like i do like the idea of like i, I have i like didn't do art in college but like i know people talk about like site specifics and stuff which is like you have to go and like they're like oh you've got a warehouse do something here and like i like that idea of like trying to figure something out but like yeah I fell on my face at two hard working class heroes like trying to just trying to do something really like interesting but it actually just didn't work Mm -hmm. and like that year I felt the performance was okay but like the stress of trying to like set up a backdrop and get projections going and stuff with the changeover just wasn't worth it Mm -hmm. and then this year I thought I had a handle on it there was no like theatrics or anything it was just like oh i'm gonna do like a new version of the relaxation thing but then that just didn't work this year i would have just i should have just played guitar and sang but i'm glad in a way to be doing stuff like that because i suppose it's it's more interesting than if i do every show and i just turn up and plug in my guitar and play and sing are you never tempted to do like a, a cover of ride on to just fuck with people <laughs> i don't halfway through the set just i've been tempted to do a lot of stupid things <laughs> i blindfolded my audience at another love story uh this year or last year which was which was really fun that was one of the ones where i was like this is gonna work or it's really not gonna work so i made like little like participant eye masks that said participant and i played in like the living room which is like probably like like at a squeeze sitting down comfortably for like 50 people so it was about like 30 to 50 people wandering in and out and like when they came in they got given a blindfold and they sat down and then i did the i did the relaxation set again but it was absolutely perfect it was so cool to see a little a room of people just like sitting like blindfolded just chilling it's, like all, on the... it's all gimp masks and blindfolds <laughs> yeah, with, yeah, yeah. with this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking yeah. on a full bdsm theme like yeah but that was good like i was really happy and like i wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't fallen on my face trying to do other stuff. So I suppose that's the risk you take. You so there's a chains and whips lined up for the Little Museum of Dublin in <laughs> a few Little Museum. Uh, Hellraiser. I don't really know if there's going to be any, I suppose, like props <laughs> involved this time. Because um, the space is kind of... It's a unique venue. Like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to... As far as I know, I think I'm going to be in the middle of the room. I think that's the way to like fit the most people in. Right. So that could that should be interesting in its own right as well. With some like lights and visuals and stuff, hopefully. Who's your show for this year's Choice Music Prize? Seeing as uh, uh, Rusangano family, you're sitting opposite a judge right now, and Colm Regan. Yeah, well, Rusangano. Yeah, Colm's obviously unable to speak uh, for of this course. for this for this answer, but uh, they do seem to be the favourite, and I think it will happen. But I'm really bad at calling these things. I find. yeah, um, yeah. I will. I had said it from when their album came out, like that. I thought it was going to win the choice even before lots of other albums that were fantastic came out. I just feel like it's. I don't know. I think it's really, it's I don't know. It's a great record, but it says a lot. And mm-hmm. like, I think the guys are really interesting, and have been doing lots of interesting stuff. Um, I actually think it's one of the best lineups in a, in many years. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very diverse. Well, um, I mean, you know, 
could be maybe stacked a bit more diverse, but I think it's a good selection. It's weird because like you always kind of find the no matter what the lineup is, in in general with award shows as well, there seems to be always kind of a bit of a backlash. Like oh, this should have been there, that should have been there. But to me, that's a good commentary on the state yeah. of Irish music in general because there was a lot of albums where I found it very hard to get down to shortlist of ten when I was doing my own kind of one. And I think that the, yeah. you could argue like for windings and for others, they should be in there. But uh, what about you, man? When is the full album coming? That's what we want to oh, know. Give us the date right dreading now. Dreading this question, <laughs> I don't know. I've been writing a record for since probably like October last year. I have a lot of material written and it's it's strange actually. The last like the last like two months, especially since I put the video out and then the remix, I've kind of almost gone off the idea of doing a record a little bit. I feel like I feel like maybe I'm not where I want to be to put a record out yet cuz like I seem to be getting more attention with each new thing I release and do and I feel like maybe I might do another few singles before I kind of settle on it. So it will probably be next year. But it might it could be this year. Like I'm kind of writing songs in batches at the minute. Yeah, yeah. So like it could just be the case that like if I do a really like solid stretch of work I might be like, "Oh wait, I've got the guts of an album done." So we're not going to hold you to it, don't worry. Yeah. No, so, like, I saw you getting the McDonald's car park face again. Yeah. So, but it, like, through his mask. Very, but like, very I really do want to do an album. And I like, I have like, I have a lot of really great, or, or songs that I feel I think will work really great as a collection together. Sure. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to just put a record out when maybe not as many people will get to hear it as I'd like. So maybe if I, it's kind of very like, what is it? Is it commercial to be like, I want to like build my profile a bit, but I kind of, I kind of do. It would be nice to like, you know, see where I am in a few months time after the next set of gigs and stuff like that. And I guess lastly, you said before, like participant is kind of a project and obviously it is a very kind of niche style thing of its own, you know, accord. Like, could this be a project with a expiration date? Could you see yourself, like, you know, in five years' time doing something different? Because like, you've been in bands before, you've yeah. done different things. And I mean, like, like, does this have a beginning, middle and an end, do you think? I don't know. It's like, I go through like, I definitely go through phases with it. Like right now I'm kind of like at a peak, like there's peaks and troughs. So like I just released some stuff and people seem to be really, really enjoying it. And I have some stuff on the horizon that I'm excited about, like the show and like the, the tape and stuff. I'm really like, like really excited about that. But then after that, after you're like, I suppose like your 15 minutes of fame or your time in the sun, then you're back to just writing and demoing and recording and it's kind of harder to keep things in motion at that stage. So, There's always celebrity big brother. I mean, yeah, yeah. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I would Master Chef Ireland yeah. maybe. Are you, are, are, if Samantha Mumber can get on. There. Are you uh, are you whiz in the kitchen? Uh, I'm I'm I can cook. Like, what would you say your dish be? Carbonara. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like conviction in that man's that was voice. Very quick, wasn't yeah, it? It really yeah. was. It was like you didn't even have to think about it. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe we'll see you down there someday. We will see you, of course, <laughs> in the Little Museum of Dublin very, very soon. And hopefully more after that over the summer, I hope. Yeah, hopefully. Deadly. Stephen Tiernan, participant, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Oh. So a reminder then that Participant plays the Little Museum of Dublin on March the 14th where he will launch his sampler EP. But let's have a different clutch of songs for this week, guys. It's Songs of the Week. Shall we go random number game? Let's go two. All right, straight in. Okay. This is Kiki featuring Licky Lee and Birds a cappella.
Now, you may be familiar with Licky Lee, who burst onto the scene in 2008 with I'm Good, I'm Gone. She is a Scandinavian songstress of some renown. This is her friend. She features on the track. Kind of hard to differentiate them, isn't it? It is a little yeah. bit, I must admit, yeah. Um, I, I quite like Licky Lee. Um, I worked a job years ago where there was one single CD mixed CD uh, that soundtracked a Fortnite, and so I had this weird love-hate relationship with I Will F- or I Follow Rivers. All right, That's okay. on the first. Um, and it must have ended on a positive note because I've actually been a fan since. Good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I quite like this. It's it's nice. Yeah, it's very similar to Licky Lee's actual stuff, and because it's so sparse, there's not really anything to distinguish it from anything, really. I mean, it really is that kind of gospel pop thing just kind of shades of like madonna's the start of like uh like a prayer where you just kind of have that spiritually uplifting thing to it it also sounds quite a bit like canon in d major hmm. um just to get, get showing classical off here with your references. There. <laughs> um, it's pleasant it's grand but it doesn't really go anywhere yeah tr- <laughs> uh, I, I agree with all all the above really and like you know i hate making sound alikes you know but it's something you kind of can't really get away from and is it is very you know if you said if you played this for somebody and said this is the new leaky lee song you never even mentioned her mate you'd be like oh yeah i'm sure it is because sounds just like her sure. um cut from the same cloth for sure but very enjoyable and it is that kind of sound you know like there's not a lot of places you can go with it but this is still uplifting upbeat and very well done i yeah. would be slightly interested to hear what kiki comes out with kind of off her own bat so to speak because uh, as well as touring with legally she's also uh, a member of like a, a legit rock band in sweden so maybe there's going to be a bit more edge yeah, when she's not doing acapella and rather uh, putting a full band effort behind it as well she could maybe play with metallica <laughs> yeah put her put her on the list <laughs> okay let's go number three okay it's wacky psychedelia merchants animal collective and kind of bonkers don't you feel me feel your dying unity of all kind unity of all kind don't you feel me feel your dying unity of all kind unity of all kind don't you feel me feel I'd argue kind of straightforward as Animal Collective missives go. You know what I was about to say? Yeah, it's ironic because this is taken from a new EP, which is basically going to be the kind of companion release to last year's Painting With album. And that album probably alienated a lot of people because it just pushed things a little too far. Even for Animal Collective, (laughs) it was a little bit too ambitious, a little bit too hodgepodge. This, you can see why it wouldn't fit on there. And frankly, I can see why it would be an improvement in a lot of people's eyes because it is a little more restrained. It's fun. It sounds like something that would have been on Strawberry Jam a few years ago. I enjoyed this. Back to basics for Animal Collective. Mm. And I mean, like they're a band that kind of hit their peak, at least from a mainstream bothering point of view, when they brought out Meriwether Post Pavilion. I remember My Girls was quite a big hit. And I saw them in Tripod, I may have mentioned before. Now, I was just back from Galway where I hadn't slept, but I almost fell asleep standing up at that gig. There was little to no rhythm aspect to it whatsoever. And they didn't play Forever and Green, which really upset me because that's all I wanted to hear. I kind of went off them after that, a combination of just like the follow-up releases being quite lackluster and being shaken from that experience. But this is fine. This is totally grand. I mean, like, you know, when we say it's a straightforward Animal Collective song, I kind of feel like that's what we need from them right now it definitely has a beginning middle and end at three minutes and 15 seconds it does not outstay its welcome and it's perfectly pleasant and it's a good job i mean a return to form maybe yeah i think so i was kind of apprehensive of this because the last record was so it was just dense too many ideas that weren't really working 
Um, and they always have this thing where they come out with an album, they've got stuff left over and we'll get an EP. And I don't think anyone was really waiting for this. But no, this is kind of stripped back, as as you guys have said, um, and all the better for it. They sound like they're having fun. They sound, you know, not as po-faced. I mean, there's some kind of preachy unity type lyrics there, hippy-dippy stuff. But it's a bit, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Um and yeah, it's, it's an enjoyable listen. Well, don't worry if you're concerned that they're getting a bit too straight-laced, because uh, this week they will premiere new Coral Reef-inspired music at a Miami event. As you do. Uh, I mean, we do. know the Great Barrier Reef is nearly dead, so maybe this, fingers crossed, will revive us. This is going to save them. Yes, I think Fair so. Enough, yeah. Um, I was just checking there as well to see if we could tell Panda Bear what we thought of the new track. Because I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod before, but I interviewed him over Skype once. Oh, you still have his details? Yeah, he's forgotten to defriend me or whatever. <laughs> so, like, not only do I still have his details, but every now and then I'll be sitting at home and on the corner of my computer it'll pop up. No, Alex no, is Lennox. online. That's pretty awesome. Was yeah. it a video call or were you just, like, on the uh, No, phone? just on the phone. You okay. did actually, listeners, you did legitimately look into his Skype there. I think I still have the singer from Tokyo Police Club on mine. We have quite the collection of Skype contacts, should we ever need to use them. Uh, Let's go with another track now. Song number one, I think, is Passion Pit. This one's called Inner Dialogue. Yes, so Passion Pit lead singer Michael Angelakos uh, is now part of uh, the Wish Art Group. It sounds like, reads like, um, which provides artists with legal, educational and healthcare services. And it's through their YouTube channel that they in- unveiled a-, a pair of songs yeah. this week. Somewhere up there is one of them. Uh, this one, Inner Dialogue, another. Oh, this isn't working for me. No, this isn't working for me. The other one kind of does. It's about six and a half minutes long, and it kind of goes places and kind of stops, starts, and tries to be this kind of epic narrative thing. This, on the other hand, is just like, this sounds like Passion Pit stems, just thrown together. Yeah. Like, kind of cuts and scraps from even the first record. Are Passion Pit a band that should have stayed in 2008? Quite possibly. I mean, I I didn't dislike this in the way you guys did. It was it was okay for me, but it is that kind of chipmunk sped up, uh, like last week. I think we were talking about overly glitchy stuff. This is it. <laughs> yeah, I I had memories of our discussion last yeah. week because with Dirty Projectors, I said that there was just enough song there in that case yeah. to hang everything else on that it still kind of worked. Sure. And frankly, a- Passion Pit used to be, used to be good at yep. that as well. I mean, you go back and listen to a track like Sleepyhead or something like, has chipmunk vocals and has those sort of weird things going on, but there's more than enough actual like quality well, there. Sleepyhead was an excellent calling card. I mean, this one doesn't have enough hooks or enough of a, no. a to B on it. I mean, the thing about Passion Pit is like, you know, I remember reviewing their second album, Gossamer, for Hot Press, and I kind of gave like three out of five or something. It's a perfectly pleasant follow-up, but it really showed that the band had kind of run out of steam. I will say that um, the track that closes that record, Where We Belong, is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. It's an incredible examination of the singer's depression, which he's talked about quite a lot. Mm-hmm. 
And the last minute of it in particular is very life affirming. Uh, I find it personally very uplifting and very helpful. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful tune. But apart from that, that's kind of like you know the the needle in the haystack. I feel with Passion yeah. Pit. It's kind of ironic as all of you ask. You know, should they've been staying in two thousand eight when, of course, he kind of said at the time he never intended for that to be a big album. He didn't even intend to release it. I think when he first started yeah. working on it. So you know, accidental success. I suppose there was certainly something very different about their creative process back then than since. You would have to imagine. Yeah, I mean they. Always have their moments for me I mean it's hard to kind of begrudge what they do because when they kind of get it right and they do occasionally it is that kind of uplifting thing and not in a kind of just saccharine way um, and there's another couple of, yeah another couple of tracks that have been dropped on this thing I think the new album's called Sea of Love and they work a lot better for me um, so yeah I just just in general I mean I don't kind of want them to go away I think they still have interesting stuff to say and do uh, inner dialogue not quite working but we'll see we've got another band who I think a lot of people did want to go away and will we be glad that they came back a new one from of all people Linkin Park this one's called Heavy but you keep spinning around me just the same Yeah, Linkin Park making a strange return, I think it's fair to say. Dave looks like he has something to say. How's it going? I do, yeah. Linkin Park, I mean, much like Father John Misty says he will ride for Nickelback, I will ride for Linkin Park a little bit because I was big into hybrid theory. I had a Linkin Park hoodie. I scratched Linkin Park lyrics into my job stockroom that I worked in at the time. I was very you were going to say, oh God, no, 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 no. (laughs) thankfully not. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, not a band that I would particularly have a great grow for, but I do kind of put them on the, you know, you can make a good greatest hits. Like I put them on there with like the likes of Coldplay, U2, maybe the Killers at a push. I kind of feel like they're an overly maligned band. However, that said, they have a lot of duds. I reviewed their last record for Drowned in Sound. It was called The Hunting Party, and it was a dreadful mess. It was them trying to be this kind of punk garage band. That they were, were getting just, back to their roots. They were mate. trying to get back to their roots, mate. Um, but this song, Heavy, it actually goes back to the roots a little more than you might think. It definitely feels like the kind of song that would have featured on their second album, Meteora, when they went a lot more kind of poppy. However, here's the thing. Not only is this such an about face from the last record, but it reminds me of a song, and it took me a little while but it's basically this. That's Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth there. This song that kind of went along with uh, Fast and Furious 7, which was kind of deemed a big tribute to Paul Walker. That was a massive, massive song. And with this chorus and that kind of OOO thing that they're kind of borrowing from Codaline, the Lumineers, et al., and the female vocal as well to support it, it just feels like they're going for this demographic. And I guess at this stage of the career, maybe they have to? The female vocal kicking in here, you mentioned London 2012 earlier. I was reminded of Emily Sande out of the Olympics. And that song that she did with Labyrinth a few years ago, Beneath You're Beautiful. It's that sort of piano balladry sort of sound. I mean, yeah, I've got to say, this isn't as bad as I thought. I mean, if someone had tried to sell me on it with the bullet points, 
of Linkin Park get emotional with guest female vocalists. <laughs> I'm like I'm not giving it the time of day. But yeah, it's not nearly as offensive as I might have imagined. Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of the thing that, you know, as Dave was saying, they always have been getting a bit emotional. And, you know, Hybrid Theory was full of actually very good pop songs. So this isn't a million miles away from those first couple of records. But having said that, and maybe it says, you know, a lot about where they came from, you know, when they actually started off, they seem to be this DIY kind of more hardcore, certainly tied to the new metal scene. But um, this could be a Brian Tedder song, uh, even production wise. Yeah. And at this point, just from having read stuff with the band and kind of their outside music exploits, they're very much Linkin Park Inc. now. They don't seem, they just seem soulless and lifeless and joyless to me. This is like essentially Mark Zuckerberg getting in the garage and getting out the guitar. <laughs> and I don't want to hear that. Um, like the, those female vocals, Ziara, I think, is, is who lends the vocals. We've Zane Lowe to thank for that. Apparently he was the hookup for that. That kind of typifies what this song is to me. It's nothingness. The album is One More Light. It is their seventh record. So we can find out on May the 19th if they have successfully reinvented themselves yet again or if the world will meet it with a shrug. I think I might be washing my hair that night. Well. Okay, well. Talking of albums uh, that maybe we should be looking forward to, uh, Los Campesinos make their return with six scenes. The album is out at the end of this week. We've already listened to one or two tracks from it during our songs of the week uh, over the past month or two. Here's a little reminder. Yeah, that's a fall of home taken from six scenes. Uh, Los Campesinos, a band that have been, well, up at the very start, I think it's fair to say, uh, in both success and in in content. Yeah. Um, Varied a little bit since then. Where does this sit? Um, I kind of feel like this is business as usual for them. And I was on a real roller coaster in the lead up to this record because first single I thought oh do you know what this band used to be quite interesting it was kind of an exhilarating you know um, exhilarating ride the melody was strong the, the old excitement was there I was like yes I'm excited about this record second single it was a bit of a moan. It was like, oh, yes, I remember why I didn't really like this band. Um, and in the end, this record for me was actually a bit of a slog to get through so many times. Um, probably down to a personal preference of just not connecting with the singer's voice whatsoever. He just sounds like a strangulated cat. Um, I cannot. Just the more and more I was listening to this and trying to apply myself, I just thought this is kind of unlistenable for me. And lyrically... He will have one or two interesting lines, but the rest is extremely try-hard. Trying to apply yourself like some kind of character-building exercise, isn't it? Extremely try-hard. I had a feeling I would be coming into a table that didn't quite understand me, 
because I feel like this band do. You said before, <laughs> Craig, uh, that you know you've tuned into the frequency of acts like Peter Silberman and Japan Droids. Like, like you've kind of used that phrase before about tuning into frequencies, which I quite like. Uh, I'm all on board with this frequency. I must say. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, they haven't always hit the mark for me, but uh, No Blues, which was out in 2013, really hit home, and I think this is a perfectly a strong successor i'm a i'm a fan of this record and i'm a fan of his vocals and i'm a fan of his lyrics i mean like, like in the review that i wrote for drowning sound i very much said i can completely understand why somebody would say this is just really pretentious university studenty kind of you know we're putting on a play type thing like that's kind of always mm. been their remit from the get-go because they you know it's, it's the knowing mix of these buoyant arrangements with you know literal fanfare and these kind of references to someone who's clearly very well read however i like his voice and i don't feel like he's showing off and i don't feel like it's too trying hard to be erudite I, I can tell by the expression on Colin's face that he is feeling exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. No, it, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling really awkward now because you were like, you know, I really get this. This band understands me. And I've written in my notes, there's a teenage angst here unbecoming from someone in his early 30s. Oh, hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave Hanrady. <laughs> Have you met me? There is a lyric in this, in the opening yeah. track, which is actually a track literally called Renato Dallara 2008. And it's about somebody, a friend of his, who's living in 2008. Um... But later on the song, it's talking about, like, you know, well, my dad got a job with, like, the police support, and he's, what is it, like, you know, part-time grass and a full-time asshole. And it's like, yeah, but, mate, you shouldn't really be living through what your dad's doing at this stage. And it, it's kind of what, what we talked about when we listened to Five Flux of Cillin a, a little while back, that, yeah. yeah, there is, like, almost a sense of immaturity at one level about this album. Now, in one sense, that does give an interesting contrast to this record, because it's very much focused on things changing and maturing and growing kind of around them and perhaps the fact that the voice is you know quite similar to what uh, arrived sort of 10 years ago um means that that contrast is is strengthened a little more it's a bit like you know when you have like a movie about a dystopian society or traveling into the future that you see it through the eyes of someone from the modern world sure so that you know you understand it that much more Yeah, I mean, the lyrics in that song that you just referenced, I mean, he's talking about being old in his early 30s and, you know, you should, you know, he's talking about how he's dealt with depression. And it is that thing of like, well, no, you're not old, mate, but you're also not a teenager. And it's this weird interland of... That's the wrong side of 30 thing, though. Like, you know, Mm. it's coming for you, lads. Yeah, you see, (laughs) never. You'll understand, (laughs) trust me. The thing is, though, that I mean, like, you know, he seems to understand that things change over time. I mean, like in in The Fall of Home, the song that we just heard there, I mean, we talked last week about, you know, Eminem and shock horror, man looks older as he ages. Um, You know, like you leave a town for 10 years and guess what? Your pubs have closed down. That stuff happens and he seems to understand that. And there's even a lyric in the last song where he's like, you know, this certainly ain't youth, where he's kind of come to terms with it. I'm just not sure if he's processed in terms Do you know of what? In some side. of these lyrics, and certainly with that song, which is essentially a Brexit ballad. Yes. And I don't think it's that well done. Like, it's a bit No, it's straightforward. On the nose. It's on the nose. It's straightforward. Yeah, but I feel, like, I feel like that's the time we live in right now. I don't now. think he's, like, universes away from Guy Garvey. Yeah. Ooh. 
Well, he's got a better Weirdly. voice. <laughs> he's got a better voice. No, this is the thing. You know, that's a fair point because so much of this is lived in kind of almost small town, ordinary Joe Soap lifestyle. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, you know, like I say, he's now 31 and I read an interview with him. He was talking about how the band now work, a lot of them work day jobs. Like, you know, yeah. they're graphic designers, they're tattoo artists. Someone's and, just an account manager. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, like, uh, this band will now only take up like 5% of my year or something. So it's kind of like they've gone from this kind of, you know, hyped uh, whatever to, okay, now we're in our 30s and the reality of being in a band and also having to pay the rent when you're in a cult band sure. is yeah. sinking in. And I do feel like this isn't immaturity. I do feel like it is maturity. I might agree with Craig that it's not quite at the level that maybe you want to be at. But again, I mean, I know he says depression is a young man's game. 31 is a young age. Like, I mean, like, like, and it's it's not an, like an age where you're going to have all the answers. You might not have all the answers ever. That's life. That's kind of the way it is. That's what I like about this record because it asks these questions. It reflects on getting older. And I don't think he's complaining. I mean, like one thing, one of the points I made in my review was that this isn't a thousand yard stare in, into the distance. This isn't a bitter, caustic look, though there is snark. I don't think he's like saying, woe is me, and oh, I have it so tough. I think he's just kind of saying, I think even him saying depression is a young man's game you know, at 31 is actually a really strong admission of saying that I can't quite dwell on myself the way I used to. I have to just put that aside if I can and try and battle it and try and get on top of it and go, you know what, this is just the life that I lead and I have to be a bit more mature about it. And I think that that's what these songs are about. Now, granted, you have the expected references to football and wrestling and definitely some kind of, hey, I read this in a book last week. But yeah. <laughs> it all works for me, and I love the I love that mix of the music, and I love the way that the songs build. And I I'm I don't know I mean like it ain't perfect. It is a bit sketchy. You might argue that's not as strong emotionally as No Blues was in places. But I like you yeah, know I don't know. It, it spoke to me. It really, really did. I mean, I, I like I will agree with you that some of the songs are brilliantly built. I think um, a slow slow death. For that's instance, the best song is, on the album. Really, yeah, I really like together. that actually. Yeah. And um, that has lyrics which are like scenes from a teenage marriage. Like I mean, like so you could you could pick out the lyrics there and say like you know, um, I've got you know like your initials and a heart tattoo. You know, uh, you and me, we two in vermilion, we two a lovers coup. I yeah. mean, like that's the type of thing that you would write when you're fucking eighteen or nineteen. But it works. He sells it. Yeah. No. And I mean, like, it. I mean, it's rich for me to kind of sit here and go like, you know, this brand that you've kind of done for about ten years and this music that you make and make quite well. This sort of upbeat up-tempo, fizzy indie pop. Stop doing it. You know, it's unfair to kind of sit here and and say that. But at the same time, I just feel as though there seems to be a desire to tackle questions that he's either unable to, like you say, perhaps he's coming to terms with the fact that he doesn't have all the answers. But for me, maybe there's just a lack of desire to actually confront them at one level. Yeah, it's, you know, whereas you might say it's an acceptance. And certainly I read that interview and it endeared me a lot more to them. Um, While at the same time thinking, you know, the coming together of this record felt a bit like they were fitting it in around the rest of their life. And maybe that's why I just felt I wasn't having the same commitment to it myself. But, you know, rather than just an acceptance, it comes across to me like like a resignation. And they try to have these big bills and songs, but it always kind of weirdly falls short. And it has over the years, just it hasn't connected with me as a band what they've been doing. I mean, it strikes me, you know, they mostly got together around the mid-naughties. And they were always aiming, you know, not actually literally, but they seem to be heading towards a song which came out maybe a couple of years before they got together. Uh, Johnny Boys, You Are the Generation That Bought More Shoes and You Get What You Deserve, which couples that almost twee, but very British, but kind of boy-girl US throwback sensibilities into this great statement about kind of youth and just a generation. 
And for me, they never quite nailed it in the way that spectacularly did. Now, it's really unfair to just compare them to a random song, but that is kind of the bar for that thing for me. And they don't hit it. They don't hit it for me. That's a fair enough comparison, I think, based on what you said. And that is an excellent song. They do hit it for me. And like the one thing as well that I kind of thought about when I was listening to this was, and it sounds like a contradiction and it sounds like a caveat, but I'm going with it anyway, which is that if No Blues was a record which kind of saw a band at a crossroads, Six Scenes is a record that sees the band somehow walk further down the crossroads. Mm-hmm. And like it does sound like, okay, album 5.5 as opposed to album 6. It does sound like, the next record has to be some kind of realisation. But I'm actually okay with that because I do think that it reflects them at where they are in their life. I think it's very honest and I think that that's okay. I, th- I think it's alright to be a bit lost uh, where they are in their career at the moment. I think they actually do it with aplomb and I think that that doesn't always happen and it's kind of a bit of a walking contradiction in its way and that's one of the reasons why I like it. I like it because it's imperfect. Do you want to give us a score, Dave? Well, my score is an 8. I'm going to go with a... Good God. I'm going to go with a six. I think it's... (laughs) 4.5! This because I gave Albo two, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I love that Albo record. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) No, this isn't an objectionable record for me, but it's maybe not one that I'd be rushing out to buy either. In terms of other albums that are out in the coming week or so... I have given the new Ryan Adams record a spin. Oh, I hope oh, you like it because he'll, he'll leave you a voicemail if you don't. Did you, you ever hear that? Which? Did you ever hear him leaving a voicemail on a critic's answer machine? I haven't liked it, I don't think. Well, he here, seems like the type that was. Here's a snippet for you. 11 a.m. December 19th. Hey, Jim. This is Ryan Adams. Um, just calling to say hi. Well, somebody sent me your fucking stupid bullshit review of my show. No, to Ryan Adams, wish you were anywhere but here. It's like, you know, fuck you, man. Like, fuck you, you asshole. I'm so sick of it. I'm not giving you, like, a Courtney Love call, but it's like, nobody, nobody's interested. Like, nobody's interested in your, in your bullshit. Like, you obviously have, like, a problem with me. Not with the music, because you can't refute it, obviously, because it's too fucking good, and you know it is. And, old man, it's time for you to probably get out of the fucking business. To delete, push six. Angry man. All right, well, thank, thank, thankfully I will be escaping that fate um, because it's not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's quite straightforward, I have okay. to say. Um, it's no. kind of a return to, I suppose, like kind of Tom Petty-ish, Springsteen-ish sort of road rock, basically, like mid-80s stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's rock solid. It, it sounds like a, an album where he has a lot of conviction, I suppose. Um, it, it obviously came out of the breakup of his marriage, mm. um, but it's it's not your absolute stereotypical breakup album. Has he learned some tricks from Taylor Swift? You know what? <laughs> Genuinely, there is a feel of that sort of stadium rock yeah, ambition I that was on be, yeah. 1989 like yeah. and obviously we know what he did with that album himself so yeah I mean like there genuinely is a little bit of that taken from it I think uh, a record actually I was listening to which is actually had a few weeks now Julie Byrne Not Even Happiness I think is a fabulous record I think it's a really really uh, I, I thought it was a debut it's not it's actually her sophomore record I believe and excellent songwriting very atmospheric she's got a hell of a voice and she's a hell of a songwriter and it's nine tracks you know brevity always enjoyable and uh, if you haven't heard it or heard her just dive in just listen to it it's a really really impressive album and I think it's one of the better ones that's been released this year I kind of overlooked it when it came out and I was very very happy to catch up with it in my convalescence Craig what have you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to Paul Buchanan of the Blue Nile <laughs> so nothing new I've been on Early's lads alright I need some comfort music you're not getting into Prince now that he's on Spotify probably against his wishes 
Yeah, this but is the it's thing. such a good catalog. This is the thing. It's amazing, isn't it? We should do a Prince listening guide, actually. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We One will for do a future episode. We will do a Prince listening guide, but we're going to do a different listening guide next week. Oh, uh, tell us who's going to be Are you, Nine Inch Nails. Yes, I'm it's actually time. I'm very much looking forward to this because it's a band I've always wanted to get into. Haven't known where to start, so I'll be I'll be listening to that in the I, studio. I'm <laughs> going to extensively apply my uh, perfect touches. Like I I, 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 don't, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, in the mean, <laughs> extensively applying my perfect touches. Orderly cue, ladies. Fucking Mills and Boone blaze over here. I'm going to be spending my week um, creating <laughs> slideshows for our live show. Uh, including a very fun quiz section that's going to be live don't, only. Don't spoil it. It won't be on the podcast. Don't so spoil it. Gonna have to come down come if you want to see what it's all about. March second, Workman's Club. If uh, you've managed to ignore every other time, that ten we've mentioned euro. It. It's the price of less than uh, two points. More than two points. It uh, is indeed uh, something. No encore live. Dot is where you will find tickets for that one, or just show up on the night. I'm sure we'll have some space and we can squeeze you in. Just say mm. that you know Cullum or Regan. Don't take all your chances. Anyway, uh, do get involved. And uh, yeah, as always, we will close this week's episode. Uh, first of all, good to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back. Hey, yeah, uh, just just so much so much fun. <laughs> we close as always with some hot new Irish music. Uh, Maya Sophia is a artist that we've featured on the show before, but she's that damn good that she's back again. Yes, uh, Persephone is the name of this track. It's a self described ode to the many talented women throughout history who have been oppressed and overshadowed at the hands of abuse. Now that might sound like a really dreary affair, but Maya is a very smart artist and she has put it together very very well. Produced and recorded with London electronic artist Gazelle. And uh, yeah, it's another really, really impressive offering from an artist who I think everyone should keep an eye on. This is Maya Sophia and Persephone. My name is Dave Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There shall be no encore. This is Maya Sophia. See you next week. As she walks away from the crowd
Stephanie, don't cut your hair. In the garden, they know that you're there. As the moonlight danced on your skin, your words were golden, so I let you. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. A job seeker's main aspiration should be to avoid obfuscation, but a posting in rhyme deserves response in kind, so here is my versed application. I am hardworking, smart, and gregarious. My poetic flow is hilarious. But three years in college and my industry knowledge taught me rattling on is precarious. A matter of quite some enjoyment was my period of freelance employment. Though the shifts were occasional, my work was sensational, hence the frequency of my deployment. The next Rabbi Burns I am not, I just thought, hey, I'll give it a shot. But I find that rhyming is all about timing, and that brevity counts for a lot. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.